Ryan Stein. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sorry. Excuse me. This is the speed demon. Um, this is my third conference here, and um, Dave has been at all three. And um, from the first conference, when I came as a new person, uh, you know, questioning what was going on here, uh, Dave's presentation was instrumental in me making a commitment to God and to Christ. And I want to thank him for that. And so he's got a lot of good things to say. And I think that, you know, he comes from L.A., uh, and he's lost a lot of weight, and I think that it would be good for numerous reasons. Um, one being to give him encouragement, two being to put a little pressure on him, and three being to kind of shake off dinner. If everybody were to just get up right now and give Dave a standing ovation in advance. I don't want you to think that that was a purely altruistic move on Tom's part. That's like thanking a cook for the meal before you've had a chance to taste it. But thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate that. Um, good evening. The problem with this place in the program is that I, I, we've already had such great topics for discussion, I've sort of lost interest in mine. Seriously, I mean, there's so many good things we could discuss that uh, I'm tempted to just move in some directions that we've already covered, but I won't. However, I want you to know that I've got two slots uh, set apart for the topic of competition, and uh, there's a lot of room for maneuvering, and uh, I want you to feel free to uh, divert me, uh, and uh, we, can, we can always find our way back. Unlike Walt, who said he doesn't know where he's going anywhere, I know where I'm going, I've been there, and, you know, we can always try something new. Uh, I would like to begin by making the observation that Ed and I realized uh, that at a conference like this with four speakers, uh, there was potential for competition among us. And we felt it would be wise to model for you uh, a good, virtuous way to handle potentially competitive situation. So we eliminated two of the speakers. <laughs> That's just you and me, Ed. The other day, uh, I was on the freeway, and I was in the left lane, the fast lane, and I'm driving as fast as the law allows. I'm right up at the top of the speed limit. I, I'm I'm doing what every good law-abiding citizen should do. By the way, I think it was George Carlin that said, have you ever noticed how when people that drive slower than you are all idiots? <laughs> and people that drive faster than you are all lunatics? I was just right in the middle. I was just right. It's the right speed. And I'm enjoying my day, enjoying my drive, and I'm right up at 65, maybe even 66. And I notice there's a guy starting to inch up on my right side. And he starts to move a little bit past me. Now, to this day, I can't tell you why I did what I did next. But I've done it before. 
and I'll probably do it again. So he started to move up on my right side. What do you think I did? I started to speed up, and he started to try to follow me. And he obviously wanted to get in front of me. And all of a sudden, what was just a nice leisurely drive on the freeway became for me a contest. Just like that, I became competitive with this guy. I did not want him to get ahead of me. Don't know why. Made no difference in my day. I just didn't like the fact that he was passing me on the right side, which you're not supposed to do, and he was going to go faster than the law allows. I just had to stay ahead of him. Of course, I broke the law in the process because I sped up. But I'm addicted to competition. I could have started tonight by, you know, introducing myself. Hi, my name is David, and I'm a competitor. You know, I haven't competed in 15 minutes, but that's about as good as it gets for me. America, I think, is addicted to competition, don't you think? We, uh, we compete at the office, we compete on the highways, we compete at home, uh, we compete for dollars, we compete for recognition. We pay to watch other people compete, right? It's part of recreation. To compete is to live, to win is to succeed, and to lose is downright traumatic. That's America. We even filter our world in competitive terms, right? The, the world's leading, the industry's best, the top 10. These are all competitive uh, tints to our lens. In our culture, the ability to compete is a measure of manhood, isn't it? To be non-competitive is to be unmotivated and lazy. The killer instinct is an esteemed virtue. In fact, a lot of parents see competition as kind of a grindstone to mill their children's character against. It's good for the kids. So they spend the weekend shuttling them from field to field, practice to practice, game to game. Because competition is good. Teach my kid values, how to survive in the world. In fact, two of the first environments that we enter outside the home are highly competitive. Sports and school. And more often than not, I think our kids, rather than learning to just work and play, are learning to compare and compete. And at a young age, that becomes part and parcel of their mind. That's, we build competitiveness into the filter right out of the chute, don't we? Kenichi Omai, who used to be a leading authority on business strategy, I don't know if he still is, but he said all business strategy, all business strategy could be summed up in two words, competitive advantage. Now, I don't know about you, but I get tired of competing. Some of you are sitting here and you're, you're just, you're worn out. You've been competing for a long time and you'd like a break. You're tired of feeling that someone younger and faster and quicker is, is gaining on you. But you don't, you don't dare slow down. Others of you, you're not tired, you're just strategizing your next competitive move. But either way, we're going to try to take some time this weekend because it's such a big part of our, all of our lives, whether we want it to be or not, whether we consider ourselves competitive or not. Look at the source book and try to figure out what, if anything, does the source book tell us about the subject of competition and how might it impact the way we're living. Now, at the, the front end, let me just tell you, there's no thou shalt or thou shalt not compete clauses in the Bible. Okay? The Bible doesn't speak directly to the subject of competition. However, where I think it does speak is to what goes into competition. The when, the why, the how of competition. 
So while we can't find a verse that says do or don't compete, there's a lot of verses and a lot of truth, if you will, biblical truth that will inform the way we approach the subject. I don't know if I have it nailed down yet, but maybe you guys can help refine my thinking in the process. The subject of competition is going to address how I treat people. You know, why is this important to me? Well, let me tell you, bottom line, when you're thinking about competition, you're thinking about the subject, how am I going to treat people? It's also the subject of how you'll define success, how you'll make decisions, how you'll view your survival in the world, how you'll protect your assets, what you'll teach your children, what you do for fun. As with all the guys, um, please, you will make me happy if you will interact with me as I give you a chance. I sometimes verbally, you know, I'm like a runaway truck. I, I can slow down, I can even stop, but please don't think because I'm speaking fast that it means I don't want to stop and interact with you. I much prefer give and take than lecture. But if you've got nothing to give, you know, I'll just, I'll just keep rolling. But please, please feel free to stop and interact and add something, correct me challenge me, whatever you'd like. All right, let's begin with some definitions. What is competition? This is where I start pulling apart the butterfly. You know, I'm the kind of guy, you ask him what time it is and he tells you how to build a clock. Now, some of you are going to leave tonight and think this is way too complicated and I'm sorry, I'll try to, to hone it down and simplify it tomorrow and make it very, very relevant. But let's start at, at the basics so we're all on the same page. What is competition? Simply stated, it's the pursuit of a goal at the expense of others. Two or more people trying to get what only one or a few can attain. Basic, right? We all agreed that's competition, the activity. It's an activity where your loss is my gain, or my loss is your gain. Any questions? Anybody want to dispute the definition of competition? Okay. I'm not because technically, Bill, and I could be wrong, I don't think that's actually a competition. I think competition by definition requires more than one person because there's a sense in which I'm not beating myself by getting up that mountain, am I? I know we use that term, and I, I think we all know what we mean, but, but technically I'm not really beating myself. I'm achieving something maybe, whoa, I'm, achieve, I'm achieving something, uh, I'm losing weight even as I speak. I may be achieving something that I didn't think I could do or I didn't want to do, but it's not technically a competition. Good clarification, though. Yeah, John. Okay, well, let's move on. <laughs> you, don't really, you don't really buy that you can't compete with yourself? Challenge the bank, basically. No. And, and 
keep going. Come back, you say, yeah, that was good. I, I had a good sale. I survived. Uh, they didn't swim for it, something like that. And and but that's an inanimate or so. It's not first challenge. Well, what, so what is, so what is, is racing another sailboat? It's not the same. Right. I'm not, you know, that's all right. The, but the bay doesn't win. If the bay wins, the bay doesn't, the prize isn't the same for the bay. There is no common prize, right? Right. And, and I guess that's what I'm saying. For, for, for me to compete for a prize means that I have to beat you to get whatever that prize is, tangible or intangible, right? Excuse me? Right. You need a winner and you need a loser for there to be a competition. In your, in your definition. By my definition. Yes. Right? Well, you can keep it as a competition. I got the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, you can have a competition to, and there's a degree of winning. <laughs> yes. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean winner take all, loser, loser, lose all. For example, you could be competing for spots at a university. Admission program. It doesn't mean that everybody loses and one person wins. Maybe a lot of people win, but it still means that more lose. Okay, good clarification. This is fine. I mean, believe it or not, this will all become quite relevant, I think. What, what else? Any other comments? Let's not move on until we're. Clarification? Yeah. Challenging yourself is a challenge rather than a competition. Correct. Unless you're schizophrenic, and then it could be a competition. You phrased your initial argument in terms of America. Do you think that's unique to American culture, though? I mean, if you look here, like somewhat arguing the fall of communism because man is innately competitive and couldn't deal with making the same wage as everyone else. I don't know how unique it is. I don't think it's unique to America. I think America has um, turned it into an art form. Okay, any other? These are great. Adam, I'm going to need another session, though. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right, any other comments? I don't know if America pays great because the electric station comes from Greece. <laughs> I let me make a further display. Let me make a further. I, no, they didn't make it great. We just made it into an art form. I mean, we've 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 made it into something that we've built competition into almost every relationship, every arena, uh, every form of entertainment. I mean, we can we we can make anything into a competition in this country. You just you just look at the way we use words. <laughs> if it is, I'm losing, aren't I? <laughs> um, let me give you a further distinction between, and this is somewhat artificial, but it's for the sake of our discussion, between competition and competitiveness. Okay? Competition refers to an activity. Competitiveness refers to an attitude. Competition is an activity that pits me against other people to get something I want or protect something I've got. Competitiveness is an attitude by which I pit myself against others in order to get something I want <coughs> or protect something I've got. So competitiveness is an attitude where I personalize the competition. 
or to use a made-up word, I competitize the relationship. I can either enter a structured competition or I can create one attitudinally. See the difference? There's, there, there are some competitive activities I cannot escape. For example, I own an ad agency and uh, Ford needs an agency. I want Ford as a client. Ford is looking at five other agencies. That's a competition. I didn't create it, it just exists by virtue of the fact that there are six agencies, Ford's only gonna pick one, I'm one of the six. That's a competition. It's a structure that exists that I have no choice but to be in if I'm gonna be in the ad agency. Competitiveness is something that I do myself. I create the competition or I personalize it in this sense. For the highway, for me, was a situation where it was competitiveness that made me turn that into a contest. The highway is not a contest, it shouldn't be, but I made it into one. That was an expression of competitiveness. Um, happens in your marriage, doesn't it? Marriage is not intended to be a competition, but you can competitize that relationship very quickly. It turns into a competition if you're not careful. Um, Negotiating a room in a hotel. That's not supposed to be a competition, but it can become one very quickly. So, sometimes competition is an actual activity and sometimes competition is attitudinal. When it's attitudinal, I'm gonna to refer to it as competitiveness. Comments or questions? I can be in the act of a competition without being competitive. I can be outside the competitive arena and be competitive as all get out. You see that? You agree? Okay. Question or comment? So I can engage in the act with or without the attitude. Now competitiveness, which I'm going to suggest may be negative, we'll see more about that tomorrow, grows in the soil of comparison and is fertilized by discontentment. If you want to see competitive come out in your personality, start comparing yourself with others and feed that with a little discontentment and you'll be competitive. Mm -hmm. Comparison and discontentment almost inevitably lead to competitiveness. Yeah? Can you be a contender and not be competitive in a contest? A what? Can you be what? A contender. And not be competitive? Yes. You can even try hard. One is attitudinal. We're going to focus a little bit more on, on drilling down on the, on, on the attitude uh, tomorrow. But I think that you can be a contender and be in the competitive arena without being competitive, without personalizing the competition. Maybe, actually, maybe not. You decide tomorrow. Comment. Okay. Sometimes competition is mutual. Sometimes it's one-sided. You know what? To my wife, this a discussion can, for me, become a competition. And I'm not going to let her win. That's ugly. What's that? I said that's ugly. It can go bad quick. Yeah. So, mutual or one-sided? Guys, in light of Walt's talk, 
let me just say that I think that when I'm competing, when I think that I have to beat you in order to get something, it may be a reality, as in the Ford illustration, or it may simply be my perception. I may think that I have to beat you to get what I'm after, and the reality is I don't. We're going to talk about that in a couple minutes. Now, competition not only has the element of participant, but also has the element of prize. Let me just mention something about the prize. Now, the prize in a competition can sometimes be tangible, a promotion, a contract, a, you know, a client, a raise, a spot on the team. These are tangible prizes. And sometimes the prize in a competition can be intangible, a sense of satisfaction, a, you know, a feeling of mastery, an achievement, something very intangible but very real to you. So you might be competing for something physical or something <coughs> emotional, something mental, a feeling. Competition is simply a means to an end. That's what it is. And it's going to force us to examine what we want and how we get it. See, if it's a means to an end, you've got to ask yourself, well, what is it that I'm trying to get? What is the end and how am I going to get it? And is competition the way I want to do it? The Bible, gentlemen, does not forbid the activity of competition. Let's get that right there. Okay? Nothing forbidden, nothing the Bible says I can't compete. So if that's my source book, I'm okay entering into a competition. The Bible does have some problems with competitiveness. I will kind of give you a teaser, and that is this. The Bible says there is nothing to be gained in the kingdom of God by competing for it. So if you're interested in loving God, if you're interested in filling the blank with God, pursuing his kingdom, the things that are important to him, you need to know that nothing that is important to be God, nothing that is important to God will be gained by your successfully competing for it. So the more competitive you are, the more focused you are on something other than the things that God cares about. Because nothing God cares about is gotten or achieved by competing for it. Com comments or questions? Yeah. I'm kind of fuzzy on the competitiveness and a competition. Okay. You can be the best and not be competitive if you're that much better than everybody else. I, I think that the winning is, while winning is by definition part of the competition, winning isn't the determinative goal or motive 
In that sense, in other words, competitor says, I've got to beat you to get that prize. I'm going to beat you to get that prize. You can see the extreme where I'm going to win no matter what. Okay, that's the extreme. Yeah, let's, let's, let's agree that that's, you know, let's take cheating and dishonesty out, out of the equation. Yeah, but you, you look at, let's say, a football competition and, and a whole football season. You can't, you can't pick up any game, either team, where, nope, or a person on the team really doesn't care one way or the other. They want to win. Everybody wants to win. Does that mean every, and, and if they lose, they're bummed about it because they wanted to win. Does that mean that everyone on that team is being competitive? It depends. Maybe if we point to a couple, and maybe, maybe we're going there, where it's the attitude of a of competitive and what is competitive and what is competitive. Or maybe it has to do with what you're willing to give up. I'm not. Yeah. Don't worry. It's, it, go ahead. I don't know if this applies here. I'm thinking, you know, of, of a parent in a soccer game. A parent watching their child play soccer. The child's competing. The parent is not. But the parent wants his child to win, and therefore yelling from the sideline, the parent is showing an attitude that is not competing. Um, I don't know if that's an example or not. You're definitely not competing, but you're being very it seems to me that if you go into a competition, Paul even talks about when we run the race, we run as to, as to win. But there's a difference between competing as to win, I mean, giving it everything you've got to win, and basing your sense of self-worth based upon whether you win or not. And there's a huge difference. I have twin girls, and they end up using fighting each other in competition. Taekwondo, and we never come home with two first place because we're the same weight class and the same age. And <laughs> Walt and I have run around this for, for months trying to figure out, you know, should they compete with each other? And the answer is absolutely, because every time they compete, there's always a winner and a loser, and they usually come home together. And does that mean that mom and dad still don't love you? Does that mean that you're a better person? No. Why are you letting the world determine whether you are better or worse? I mean, it seems to me that we're letting our value system of achievement be established by the world as opposed to the, the process of trying to do your best and going out. But to say that you go out and don't compete so as to win, seems ludicrous. You know, you just, you're, 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 it just doesn't make any sense. Right. Otherwise, you're not giving up your best. You're not trying to win. You're just, I don't think it has anything to do with what you're trying to win. About. I think it has to do with what it's what you do with the winning or the losing when you get done, and whether that changes your sense of self-worth or, you know, for God or yourself or your peers or whatever. So you're saying you think the act is legitimate, but you've got to be careful what you draw away from the act. I think the act is neutral. But by being neutral, it's legitimate, right? It's legitimate, right. Okay. It doesn't, doesn't, it's not either, it's either good or bad. It's a process you go through. But when you walk away from the back end, Somehow you think that being first makes you a better person, or you know, puts you in the top of the heap and changes your, your position with God or your position between your fellow man, then you are in deep trouble. I don't care if that's first place in the university or you know, whatever the competition is, you're in deep trouble. Okay, I would agree. Would you agree that how you approach the competition, however, 
is at least equally important. Absolutely. But if you, if you approach the competition, you can see it in the eyes of a lot of guys who go for the Olympics. Uh, you know, they're devastated. Well, how does it feel to only get the silver medal? You know, if they're devastated, you know that their hope was in the wrong thing. Their hope was in being number one. But, but, but I heard you saying that that's by definition what, what a competition is. No. It's to win. No, I'm saying that it's legitimate to compete. Right. But to put your hope in victory, I okay. think it's legitimate. In other words, that if you're... You're taking risks in the direction. I mean, it is a risky thing to go out and compete in the public stage. I don't care what you do, because you know you're exposing yourself to a failure, you know, in the eyes of our public. But our country only values the people who walk away in first place. So if my daughter comes home, one comes home with gold, and she's prideful, and the other comes home and comes with second, she feels like a slug. I say that the whole process they went through is totally wrong. Can they both go try to kick each other's heads in? and come home and, you know, and feel good about each other? And the answer is absolutely. Well, what is the answer that allows them to compete like that? I would say it's not because one of them says, oh, that's okay, that's okay, dear sister, you know, you can win today, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna compete, you know, and that's just nonsense. And why do you, why do you enter into it if you're not entering into war? Okay, we're getting into a little bit, just to say where I'm headed, just not, not to stop the, the interaction, but where we're gonna head is we're gonna discuss um, dangers of com competition, motives for competition, and how we, how we, how we might compete in the competition. We're, we're kind of starting to move all around back and forth, and I know that's kind of a laborious, linear way to go through it, but, but that's where I'm headed, just so you know. So some of this discussion is already on the, well, how should we compete, and so on and so forth. I just want to see, yeah. Perhaps as a clarification, it seems like uh, in this room we're having a problem with competitiveness being negative. I think that's what I'm hearing Tom say that he doesn't see competitiveness necessarily by itself being negative. Right. But and the definition that you gave us was that it was negative. And maybe your clarification would be that if that's what you intended, competitiveness for you means the negative part of competition. Fine, let us know that and we can, you know, make a judgment on that. Okay. And we reserve judgment for a little while on that? And, and you'll see why I'm making that, why I'm indicating that may be a negative. And I'm only indicating it's a negative because we're all here operating in the sense of, hey, what does the source material tell us? I'm not saying you should believe this. I'm just trying to, you know, this, this is sort of like a peep show. You know, for those of you who are just wondering what the biblical worldview might look like in my life, and I'm not saying I've got it correct, so I'm willing to take challenges, but what I'm trying to do is give you, you know, a little peep at if you were to think about following Jesus Christ or, or, or subscribing to his his book, this is what it might mean to you in this area of competition. Okay, so agree that we may disagree on, on all kinds of things, but I, as best I can, I'm going to try to give you at least my take on what the Bible says about competition. And some of that is just groundwork I'm trying to lay, and I'm very, this is very helpful for me, so keep it up, don't, don't stop, because I have kind of a, a laborious way of getting to the point. So thank you. Yeah? The only thing I was going to say about that is you have great champions in the same sport that are brutal competitors and ones that you want to see win. I think we're all concluding that there's that you would love to be the champ, you know, the champion, and be and have people look up to you for doing that. I mean, that that's that is, in my opinion, that's the ultimate goal. Those are the people that I respect that are great champions and great human beings at the same time, and a lot of them happen to be good Christian men. 
that I, at least the ones that I look up to. And when they do win, you know, they give the credit everywhere. You can be that tough, but there's no one perfect way to do it. You know, I mean, you could have champions in both, ones that are just the most cheating, brutal people there are, champion, or decent human being. I think the job of a Christian man, at least what I've heard, is from the champions that I know that are good Christian men, is to have both, have people respect you, look up to you, and you're still, you know, you're still tough competitors. Yeah, see, guys, you know, I'm not doing a very good job, but this is why this subject is so important, because in... Among those people who call themselves Christians, we have bought into a competitive competition model. And, and our heroes are competitors. And all I want to do is challenge your thinking a little bit, provoke you a little bit, think that maybe, maybe that the sort of standard line of, well, as long as you're, you, know, you do it well and you treat your competition nicely and you don't cheat, lie, and steal, it's okay you know, to go for the gusto, go for the guts and try to win because that's what competition is. And I just, you know, I just want to suggest to you that that may not be the case. That may not be something that God is pleased with. But that may be the case if your objective in life, if your reason for being here is to emerge victorious, then yes, that defines a good competitor. But if you have a different reason for being on the planet, a good or a Christian competitor may not be defined the way the world defines a good competitor. The world defines a good competitor as someone who, A, emerges successfully, right? And B, just works his butt off to beat the competition. Is, is that a fair simplification? Yeah. Okay. I would suggest to you the Bible says that is not the definition of a good competitor. But let me get there, all right? Let me, I, I think I can build that case, but maybe you'll disagree. Let me... Let me just start with this. Competition, if it's not a forbidden activity, if the competitive arena is not a place God says, do not enter, he does say, danger warning ahead. Okay? When you think of a competition now, in terms of any activity, any environment that's competitive, in your mind, the Bible would say you should put a sign up mentally that says danger, warning, caution ahead. Why? Well, I, I think there are at least five dangers inherent in the activity. Okay, forget about your attitude now. Inherent in the activity of competition, I see five dangers. Number one, competition, the act, always puts the relationships at risk. Doesn't mean the relationship is inevitably damaged, but it's always at risk in a competition. I mean, if you're an obstacle to my success, that doesn't really lend itself to building a lot of trust and goodwill. Would you agree with that? We aren't saying that it always results in damage. But I would say to you, it's a rare friendship that can endure constant competition. Not saying it's po not possible, but I'm saying it's rare. I don't, care what, I don't care if it's competition in the business environment or on the playing field. Very, very hard to maintain a, a friendship over constant comp competitive activity. Possible, but understand, your relationships are at risk when you engage in a competition. Now, maybe you're not my competitor yet. You're just my potential competitor. Even hard to regard a potential competitor as a trusted friend, right? Because one day you could be my rival. So I'm going to hold back just a little bit. Microsoft has coined a word, or, or people that work with Microsoft, called co-opetition. 
because they realize that there are some people who right now they're cooperating with Microsoft, but down the road they may be competing with them. So they've kind of tried to blend the two. But the point is, I'll bet you the relationship that you have, even a, a cooperative relationship, is not quite the same as if you weren't competing at all. Competition has the, the, the tendency, guys, to depersonalize other people. Just by virtue of the fact that you're in a competition with others, you tend to want to take the face off of the other person. In, in, in this sense, it's very hard to try to beat someone if you're also feeling empathetic for them, right? It, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's difficult. If you're trying to step into the, another man's shoes and, and feel empathy for who they are as an individual, that's very hard to do and then try to wipe them out. You know, try to take the deal from them. Not saying it's impossible, it's just hard. And that's what we're talking about. It puts the relationship at risk. You know, the ultimate competition is war, right? And that's what we do in war. We depersonalize the enemy, the ultimate competitor. That's why we call them ragheads. That's why we call them gooks, jacks, krauts. Because in doing so, we kind of take the face off them. And because it's a competition that we've got to win and they've got to lose, it's a lot easier to engage in that when I, when I depersonalize those I'm with. So number one danger of any competitive activity is I run the risk of damaging the relationship. Number two, competition prohibits serving. I cannot serve you and compete with you at the same time, by definition, right? If I'm trying to beat you, I can't be trying to serve you at the same time. Now, you may not think serving is an important thing, and I'm not trying to tell you it is, but I'm just trying to tell you if serving another person is part of your value system, you cannot compete with them and serve them at the same time, by definition. Number three, competition discourages trust. Ed told us about trust today. He said, fundamental to a business relationship where I'm giving money. Guess what? Competition discourages trust. I, obviously, you don't have my best interest at heart. You're trying to beat me. Why would I trust you? Number four, competition can draw me off purpose. See, in the heat of the battle, I can forget why I'm here and what my life is all about. Because, boy, it's like when that competitive bell rings, I start to salivate. And even though I may start the competition, the act of competing with a very clear sense of who I am and what I'm about and who I love, I got to tell you, halfway into it, all I can think about is being you, right? Not everybody, not all the time, but it can get me off purpose. <coughs> and number five, competition can lead me to false conclusions. Competition. Now, these are just dangers, guys. It's not inevitabilities, but dangers to the competitive act. It can lead me to false conclusions. What I mean by that is that the results of a competition are always comparative, never absolute, right? In other words, it's the difference between being better and being good. When I win a competition, all it means is I'm better than my competitors. It doesn't actually mean that I'm good. My competitors could stink, and I just won. So the results of a competition are only comparative. They're never absolute. And if I'm not careful, I draw the wrong conclusion from the fact that I've won, right? I think maybe I did a good job, played well, handled myself admirably in the, in, in, in the meeting. 
may not mean that at all. It just means I did it better than somebody else. Remember, guys, a good decision is not ultimately defined by the outcome. A good decision is defined by the front end, by the input. You can make a good decision and have disastrous results. Does that make it a bad decision? No, it just makes it a good decision with disastrous results. It makes it a good decision that I don't like how it came out. But a good decision is not primarily defined by how it turns out. That's just a decision I like. And if we're not careful, we make false conclusions by looking at the results of the competition. It can lead you to evaluate your decision making on the basis of the results. I made a good choice because I won. I made a bad choice because I lost. Not necessarily the case. Okay. All those dangers aside, let me just say this. The Bible, there's a quote in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. That's the issue, it seems to me, guys, when we come to competition and competitiveness. It's okay to do. It's lawful, permissible. The question we have to ask, is it profitable? Is it good? 1 Corinthians 6, help me out on the, the address. 6.12? Thank you. Now, I'm assuming all of us are going to compete. We can't avoid it. It's a competitive world. There are competitive arenas out there that I don't even have to build. I, I walk into them. I'm stuck with them. So having said that, I want to explore for you for a minute before we hit the why, and we, we won't finish all this tonight, but I mean, before we visit the how, excuse me, why is it that I compete? Or why am I competitive? Or why do I develop a competitive mindset? That's what I want to look at for a minute. And there are five reasons I would give you. Maybe more. Yeah. Can you say that uh, competition prohibits certain? And then you said earlier that we're forced into competitive arenas. How do you how do you reconcile uh, those things with the example you used for for an account? So you're put in the arena. That's the how. I'm, I'm, first of all, answer that. I'm not sure, but I think tomorrow we can we can take a look at where the flag is, and we might discuss how we can how, how we can try to do that. But but that is the challenge, because if you believe that you're called to serve people, you find yourself in a competitive arena. And now I've got to figure out how to pull that off, and it may have something to do with this concept that we're trying to developed around competitiveness. Yeah. Okay. Building a case for competition in the field is not legitimate. I don't mean to be. I try, I'm trying to build just the opposite of So help, help me out. Okay. I'm trying to say competition, the act. Well, you say it's a danger to compete. If you really compete, you cannot serve. Or it may have a danger that you, you may not be in a servant mode because you're trying to compete the guy. As I've talked, as I thought this thing through, it seems to me that the the act of competition is neutral. The audience to which I play in this competitive environment is crucial. 
if I go, if I'm a gifted athlete, and I go into a competition, and I truly am competing to glorify God, to do the best I possibly can, compete against myself, whatever you want to say, um, I don't see any danger in that whatsoever. If I go in there to smoke the guy next to me, you know, it gets into a real heated thing, like in the car, or you start hating the guy, you know, and you, you, you work up, you know, you've seen football teams, they just work themselves, they want to go kill the other guys, you know. Um, that is clearly destructive, and, and the Bible is very clear about that. But it seems to me that if, if, you're, if the object, the audience you're playing to is God, and you're in the business world, and you're trying to compete with somebody else, but you have to take together other guy out. That's your, your idea, you know, destroy the other guy, and that's how you're going to win. That is, is about as, as far away from a walk of faith. You're basically saying, I cannot trust that I can serve and still compete. Because it seems to me that a, a servant heart comes out of the sense that God is an infinite God and has unlimited resources, puts me in that competitive environment, allows me to serve and compete. In other words, the notion that you're going to have be dangerous, you cannot serve and you have to compete, is a totally worldly view. Uh, it just, it, it's just going to tilt with this idea. It just doesn't make sense. It seems to me that, that, that a competitive attitude, which you describe as a guy who doesn't walk by faith with God in a competitive environment, you know, that his mission field is to be in a competitive environment. How can he serve in a competitive environment is the question I would ask. Not that it is. Okay, so you would change competition prohibits serving to what competition uh, makes serving a challenge? The competition is illegitimate apart from a walk of faith. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. If, you're, if your worldview is that you are not, if God is not your reason, who's the audience you're playing to? If, you're, if you've got, you view that, that the competition is neutral and God puts you in that environment and you're there by, by, by fact of God's direction, I want you to be in this environment. Okay, you know, I can't imagine a more competitive environment than the financial service sector trying to compete for business, how could he be in that environment and still be a have a servant heart? Well, I submit that you could. Could you pick another example? <laughs> 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 I like using you. Well, can I ask you something? You, can you explain to me if the goal of competition is to beat you, right? That's the goal. That's your definition. Well, that's the, that's the definition of the world. The world, the audience the world plays to is that there is one winner and one loser. Well, but... So competition is not one or more people trying to get something that you know only one can get or only a few can get of the of the group. That's not the world defines it. How, how did, I, I would I didn't I didn't think that was a I didn't think that was a world versus faith definition. Uh, I guess I'm making a distinction between who wins and who loses and the the motive and nature of the competition. If I go into a competition, I'm a gifted athlete, is it wrong for me to want to go compete for the Olympic gold? I no. don't think so. It's I, the very I nature that we hold competition in the Olympics to have to see the best in the world inherently wrong. No. It is if the audience is to try to determine the best at the expense of everybody else. That's what you're all that's what you're defining, and I agree with that. I'm just saying that as a believer, entering into a competitive environment seems to me that it becomes destructive or non-destructive only to the degree that I either trust God for the difference or I don't. If I fall into the world mindset that somehow competition makes me a better person and I get on top and it's the number one at expense of everybody else and it's totally destructive behavior and we're surrounded by it. 
but uh, we're surrounded by it, so how in the world do we be salt and light in a world that we're surrounded by, and that's the mission that God gave me. I, uh, I submit that it is possible for a believer to be involved in competition and to be having a total legitimate thing and either win or lose, and it doesn't matter. It depends on the audience that you play to. Okay. Yeah. Maybe part of this is is a competitive situation. Like, let's let's you and I go play tennis. Right. We can go play tennis, and we may or may not want to be terribly competitive against each other. But irregardless, by the time we get done, we go have a beer. Right. Okay, that's okay. I get the sense, Dave, where you're trying to take this is that that competitive attitude that it doesn't matter whether you and I are going to go play tennis or I'm going to drive from here to San Francisco or I'm going to have a conversation with my wife. I am out to win. I think you're talking about an event, a location, people come together, they have a competition, how do they feel about it after they get done? I get a sense, Dave, you're trying to talk about this is how do we live our lives, kind of our operating system. Well, if you, if you withdraw your satisfaction sense of, of achievement and self-esteem from winning, yeah, then you right. can turn anything into that because you always got to be, that's how you derive it. But if you realize that you're your worm dirt, and you know, the only reason you have any value is because God declares you value. Seems to me you don't have to look to anything else but God for the for the meeting of your needs, which is I mean that seems to be the number one destructive part of competition. People look to winning to meet their needs of self-worth or esteem or you know respect or adoration from others or whatever. What you're saying is you compete you all you want, but you trust God for the outcome and exactly and, uh, exactly. Yeah. Bingo. Right. The outcome is the outcome. It doesn't have any effect on my sense of... Right. When I walk out, does God love me any less because I came in number two or number one? No. And ultimately, he's the one that decides whether you come in number two or number one. Exactly. But if I, if I go into the competition and I covet winning, then I submit I lose no matter whether I win or lose. You know, I, I lose big time because I'm basically placing... I'm looking for... Confirmation from the world, not from God. It, you know, it seems to me, who audience you're playing to? Am I playing to the audience in the crowd, or am I playing to the audience in heaven? Am I playing to the audience in heaven? And God says, "Well done, that good and faithful servant." You got number thirteen to thirteen. I believe I can come in thirteen and be declared great, the kingdom of God, and come in number one and be declared absolutely a failure. Depends on what audience you play to. Yeah, David, I was going to say, I don't think that that's the case. Thinking the same same way about this, I've seen the evil in competition as the issue of comparison. And uh, right. the term competitiveness to me, it's it's a bit problematic for me to think of that as a negative yeah. up front. And the, and the reason I say that is, I think of the term as describing the stewardship of a <coughs> of what you do for for a competition. If you are put into a competition. A good steward with their hope in the right place. You're putting your hope it, not not in the world's framework of measurement, but in God's framework. I still have to be a steward of that competition. I have to do certain things, and that's what I would describe as uh, competitiveness. That is the acts that I do in the environment that I'm in to prepare myself for that competition, and that can be God's glorifying uh, along. Okay, I see two things going on here. One is fuzziness in my own thinking, which, which you guys are surfacing, which is fine. Two, we're, we're just, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're bouncing between these three questions. 
And what I was trying to do was sort of on a very sort of slow and laborious, probably way too slow for most of you guys, sort of way try to pick through the topic linearly. Uh, we're talking about what is competition, why do I compete, how should I compete, and when should I compete. And we're getting them all mixed up and they're all flowing together. Let me just suggest to you, agree or disagree, that I'm making a distinction between the what, that is the competitive activity, and the why, when, and the how. And I'm saying that, that I believe that the competitive activity is permissible. But by virtue of the nature of competition, the why, when, and the how is all important to the man of God, to the man who's looking to the Bible for, as his source book. And it isn't just, am I honest? Am I not a bad guy? You know, it's, it's not just the typical, uh, I, I'm not just going to win at all costs. That, that isn't the only um, tempering. And, and I know Tom is talking about having the right audience and so on and so forth. I'm just trying to lead you to the idea that maybe we need to think through why we compete, when, when and how we should compete. And that's all I'll give you. Let me just, I, I don't remember when I started. I'm probably getting close to being out of time. But let me, just, let me just give you quickly five, six reasons why I think we compete. Not saying they're right or wrong, just saying these are reasons that drive people to be competitive. Number one, we compete out of fear. I'll, I'll, quick, I'll comment in a minute, but let me just list them for you. We compete out of fear. We compete out of greed. We compete out of pride. We compete out of a desire for personal productivity and we compete for pleasure. I'll read them again to you and then we'll, I'll comment. We compete out of fear, we compete out of greed, we compete out of pride, we compete for personal productivity, we compete for pleasure. Now there may be other reasons, but for the sake of the discussion, let me just, it's all I know how to talk about. Number one, I compete out of fear. It's the fear that if I don't compete, I won't survive, okay? We're not talking about playing field. We're talking about how I feel about my life, being in the marketplace, being in this world. I feel like I'm competing for my survival. That I'm either competing to get what I think I need or competing to hold on to what I have. What I do is I perceive that my family's provision, my and my family's provision, is at stake in the competitive arena. And so out of fear of losing that or not keeping that, I get in there and I compete. I don't have to tell you how profound the drive for survival is. And you will treat, I will treat anyone as a rival that I perceive to be a threat to my survival. I'm not saying that's right, but I'm saying that is my tendency. Is if I perceive that you threaten my ability to live and my family's ability to live, you become a rival to me. And I will compete with you. And if I'm not competing with you in an arena, I'll set up a competition with you. Because I want to live. I want to meet my needs. Now, what does the Bible say to that motivation for competition? If you're competing or you feel competitive out of fear that if you don't, you aren't going to survive, the Bible says this. The meeting of your needs, your survival, is never dependent on your ability to compete. Now, that's rather liberating if you believe it. The Bible says your survival is not at stake in the competitive arena. I think it tends to describe, God describes your resources, or no, God's resources are like a piece of pie. He's got a piece 
for you. That he's picked out a provision, if you will. This is your provision from God. And I would argue that the Bible says that nobody can get a piece of your provision, the provision that God has for you. Nobody can sneak in at night and nibble away at it. Okay? It's protected by God, determined before the foundation of the world. Can't be... Uh, yes. You cannot lose it to a competitor. Or let, let, me, let me say, let me put it to you this way. You will never be poor because you're not competitive enough. That's the point. You may be poor, you may lose it because you're lazy, you're dishonest, uh, stupid, you're not paying attention to your broker. But the point, the, the point is, guys, It'll never, you'll never, ever lose it because you didn't compete well enough or hard enough or successfully. God says, I will provide for your needs. I will protect that provision. That's why, gentlemen, when it comes to your survival in this world, biblically speaking, if you buy into the Bible, peak show now, for those of you who don't, God says, you have no rivals. In this area of meeting your needs, nobody is really your competitor. Now you may perceive, that's why I said sometimes competition is perceived, not real. You may perceive other people or you may perceive other countries as being a threat to your survival. God says you don't have to. I will take care of you. Now, one, one second. Well, go ahead. Are you defining survival in the eternal sense or in the... Temporal sense. Temporal sense. But, but here's the here, good question and lead into this. The problem with this pie illustration, not the illustration, but the problem with the concept is, God says, I've got a piece of pie for you. Guess what? I'm not sure how big that piece is. And I may want to make it bigger just in case it's not big enough for me. So you may think that you have rivals because your pie has gone from this big to this big. It may be that that's just the size of the piece. Maybe it changes. But the reality, God says, even though your perception is that I've been beaten by my competitor, God says, no, I just have a plan for you. Nobody got to the pie. It doesn't even mean you made bad decisions. It just means my plan for you is X. Okay? Yeah? You didn't say, though, that your effort is not to tackle the success of your Excuse me? You didn't say that your effort is not the factor of your success. No, it, it, not the factor of my success. Expl exp explain before I answer that, because I'll get into trouble if I'm not careful. Explain what you mean. The outcome is a God-given decision. Right. The process of the competition is your decision. Your decision to compete, your decision to exercise, your decision to discipline your body. The competitive nature that you have towards that determines a lot of what's going to happen. Correct? Correct. But the final outcome is God. You're going to have two great guys in the tennis court, love God with all their heart, and just go at it. Okay? One may have one more point than another, but they both have competed extremely well. Hopping with that type of attitude. I mean, 
how do you reconcile the, the process with the outcome? I'm struggling with how, I'm, I'm, forgive me, I'm just struggling with the question. How do I reconcile the process with the outcome? Yeah, I think we get ourselves kind of on <coughs> the axle when we use the competition metaphor in both contexts. You know, one's a game, it's just play. And it's so different than the competition we experience while competition. The, uh, the, the marketplace where we're attempting to acquire uh, the things of life, and so, in terms of attempting to acquire the things of life, the metaphor of the pie, you've got to find out how much you're going to get. At times, you go through Job's experience, and he takes it away through no fault of your own. Job probably wishes he'd diversified, but he didn't. That took it all away. And there was no amount of competition you know, that would have caused that to be different. Which I think, you know, so I think that using the metaphor of competition for that experience is. Um, Confusing, it doesn't really lead me anywhere. <coughs> yeah, sorry I'm not helping you. I'm not intentionally. Okay. Can you circle back with me on it? Sure. It just makes me think through the process of your definition of competition. I'm not so sure that someone has to be a loser to be competitive in a competition. If I take out the last part of your definition, I feel more comfortable with it. Pursuit of the goal, not the expense of others. I still can. I, Doesn't somebody have to lose for me to win? It, I mean, in most, other than if we have if we have multiple winners. But the point is, somebody has to lose in order for me to win. Or it's not a competition. It may be a cooperation, but. Which you shouldn't be a loss. Doesn't necessarily have to be a loss. It could be a win. Well, now, but now, are we just redefining something? I mean, it, because if, if, if the point is loss in the sense of you didn't get the prize, whatever the prize is, tangible or intangible. Job's loss was really a win. Right, but now we character to a new person. But he did lose faith. That was the one thing that he didn't lose. He lost everything, but the most important thing. So he's the world. Yeah, what would you call that between God and Satan that involved Job? What would you call what went on between God and Satan? Servant and master. You wouldn't call that a competition no, between God and Satan? No. Satan is God's creature. Satan is just, just, just a creature that whose existence depends on, just like everybody else's, God's determination. When God says Satan is God. Why would he even appease Satan and to let him do something like that? Because Satan, that's a great, by the way, that's a great question. Yeah, God laid down the gauntlet. All, all God was doing was using Satan to accomplish his purposes. Gentlemen, you know, you never have to ask God to use you. God will use you. That doesn't mean anything that God is using. God uses everybody and everything. The question is, you hope that he's using you in his pleasure, not his displeasure. Right? Don't get any great pleasure from the fact that you see God using your life. Just because he's using you doesn't mean he's pleased with you. It just means you happen to be part of how he'll accomplish his purposes. That's how I see Satan. Obedient servant to his master. Um, Do we think sometimes it's a 
metaphor proposition is real when real is. It's really not real at all. When, when Israel went into the promised land, they won. I mean, there's no competition. The other guys thought there was a competition. It's just that God said, you're going to do this, and it will happen. And do we get ourselves all frustrated thinking we're competing when really, you know, God called us to do it, we're going to do it, and you're going to walk through the thing and achieve whatever you need to achieve because that's what God has called you to be. And yet we think we're in a competition. I mean, Israel thought they were in competition. And the only thing they were competing with was themselves and just don't screw it up like they did at Aon. And so we go into <laughs> So, I mean... Making a contest out of it versus, I think, your point of a competitive attitude is if you've got a competitive attitude, you probably get the wrong perspective because you're going to win when you're going to win. And the only thing you got to fight is yourself. So I wonder if the metaphor is, we put the metaphor there, but it really shouldn't be there. <coughs> this I'm sure of. I'm not sure of a lot of things, but this I'm sure of. When it comes to the meeting of your needs, God says, I'll take that responsibility. I'm not saying your needs aren't important. I'm just saying they're not your responsibility. You're not out there competing for the meeting of your needs. You may think you are. The Bible says, i got good news. You've got no rivals. I will provide for you, and nobody can eat away at my provision. And you may not like the size of my provision, and you might try to out-provide me by getting out there and being competitive. But when you're in the marketplace, you need to know that what's at stake, whatever else is at stake in the marketplace, it's not the meeting of your needs. And so that's the Bible's worldview. Now, that is actually quite liberating, isn't it? Because that is saying that as I get into the competitive arena with you and, and we're competing for the Ford account, I know that there's a sense in which even though I may lose the account, it's not going to affect what God wants to do in terms of providing for my needs. And when I think that way, and when I look at you that way, all of a sudden, no longer are you really my rival, and I'm free to treat you differently than if I thought you could come between me and my mortgage payment. If I can't make my mortgage payment, it's not because you came between me and that deal. It's because God said, I'm going to cut, I'm going to cut you down a little bit. I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring in, think if, you know, I can't think of the analogy, but you know what I'm trying to say. God says, I'm going to reduce your network. My, my enemy, my competitor, my rival is never another man. That's the point. We, can we leave it at that? It has a profound effect on the way I make decisions. See, I don't necessarily adjust my life because the competition is adjusted. I figure out who I am in the marketplace, in my company, in my community. I commit to that purpose and let the chips fall away anyway. Sometimes, guys, it's our inability to compete with other people. It's in our inability to compete with other people that God provides for us and shows us to be mighty on our behalf. It's interesting, when you look at the history of Israel, God would often take Israel and reduce them to non-competitive status and then give them a victory. Great example in Judges, right? The war against the Midianites. I mean, here's God's idea of special forces. 300 men with trumpets and pitchers, right? totally, totally uh, put Israel in a at a competitive disadvantage. 
against thousands of soldiers. Because God didn't want Israel to think that their existence was based on their ability to successfully compete with other nations. He wanted them to realize that they existed because he was with them. And that's what he wants to remind people who follow him. That the reason you survive, the reason you have what you have, is because I'm with you. Not because you have successfully competed. Survival of the fittest is a myth. Okay? Now, guys, just parenthetically, the alternative to trusting God to meet my needs is not meeting my own needs. Will you remember this if you forget everything else? Trusting God to meet my needs the alternative of that is not meeting my own needs. There's no such thing as anybody who's ever met his own needs. The alternative to trusting God to meet your needs is to living under the delusion that you're meeting your own needs. You're only, see, you're either grateful or you're ungrateful with regard to your needs. Because God is always the one meeting them. There's not a human being on the earth whose needs aren't being met by God. The question is, who gives thanks and who doesn't. You may think that you're going to go out and meet your own needs because you're not going to trust God to do it, but the reality is you are. I'm not. You know, we probably ought to just shut it down. Um, we'll talk about greed and some of the other uh, reasons why we compete. We'll talk about maybe how we might compete. Guys, thank you. I realize... Um, I may have frustrated you a little bit unintentionally, but I thank you for provoking my own thinking. Any final comments or observations you want to make? Yeah. Um, my, my personal experience here is that um, the degree that people uh, who want a relationship with us want to be with me or I want to be with them is inversely You speak up, Ed? Say it one more time. I said, I said, my personal experience is that to the degree that people want, that I want a relationship with, want to compete with, or I want to is inversely proportional to my ability to achieve intimacy in a relationship. And while I might think that there's a legitimate competition, the question is, do they think? So competition by its very nature is just call I just tell you. <laughs> Go ahead. It's good for us. It seems to me it boils down to something very If I look at anything else but God for the meaning of my needs, it's illegitimate. And if it's competition, either in sports or in the marketplace, you know, maybe maybe success in the marketplace, success, you know, winning in the marketplace, success in getting a contract, all that junk, um, is really an expression of me not looking to God for the meeting of my needs, whatever, whether it's a scheme for my peers, whether it's financial prosperity, independence, whatever, whatever the motive, it doesn't matter. But it seems to me the simple test is, am I looking for anything else that God can be in my needs, whether it's self-esteem, financial, whatever it is, emotional needs, 
competition is just an, it's just a, like you said earlier, it's just an excellent stethoscope, that's a bad litmus test, to tell me that when I feel that I'm eating my needs, do I feel successful because I got number one in the Olympics? Or because I won that, that, that contract or because I'm the number one in the Fortune 500? Or because if that's the bingo, then I know that I'm, I'm in deep trouble because I may be looking to God for meeting my needs. I may not be looking to God for meeting my needs. But it seems to me that that's just, all that issue of competition trying to rightly define it really just clouds the issue. It really gets back to what audience might play. So who am I looking for the meeting of my needs? That's the litmus test. And it, but the danger is if you enter into a continuous competition, the, the danger is you constantly get drawn off looking to the competition for the successful competition for the meeting. If you lose, you, you look to God for meeting your needs. If you win, I find myself constantly drifting. What about the aspect of how I treat people in the competition? Doesn't that determine when I compete, when I don't compete? I, I don't see it. I, you know, if, I, if I truly look to God for the meeting of my needs, I, I help the guy. You know? I, mean, I, I just don't, I'm just not sure. No, but, but I guess my point is that, that would you agree that how you treat the people you're competing with is important? Absolutely. Okay. But if I truly believe that the meeting of my needs, either financial, emotional, whatever, are already met by God Himself, then I never worry about my mortgage payment being set exactly. because I successfully I won in the competition. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not going to compete the living daylights out of it, but I never have that sense of personal risk of my own self-esteem, well-being, eternal security, whatever it is, is never at risk because my chief capital investor is God. I mean, you know, it's just it's never at risk. And therefore, I can take great risk. I can serve. I can, I can do all that sort of stuff, and I can work like mad because that's a competitive environment. Guys, but you know, I just, I just don't see that as a negative area. It seems to me the negative is somehow believing that the success in this competition, because the world says that's how you achieve success, comes from successful competition. I just let's um, let me let me point out one thing to us all and. I'm sorry we lost Walt the way, we, the way we did this morning because I think what we've seen tonight, and I thank David because it's been very effective, is that uh, we've all got some different filter systems in the paradigm of competition. And as uh, John Clock just pointed out to me as I walked up this way, we're not real comfortable when somebody starts messing around with our paradigm of competition. Because now we're getting kind of close to home. And the one thing we promised you is that there would be many men in this room you don't agree with. And there'd be many men in this room you do agree with. What we wanted to do was to provoke your thinking, because these are real serious life issues. These are also very serious spiritual issues. And you need to ask yourself, what's at risk? And what David's doing, for me at least, is forcing me, as uncomfortable as it is, <laughs> to drill down on where I am on that issue. And uh, maybe we can interact about it as we have a glass of wine, come back tomorrow, dig into it further, and then dig into the Q&A some more. But it's very, very clear that 
we're in some we're in some topic matter here that uh, I don't know about you guys, but I gotta tell you, it makes me very uncomfortable. It makes me very uncomfortable. I'll give you more targets to fire at tomorrow. I'm, 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 don't let me communicate anything to you, but I appreciate the interaction. I'd like more of it, and uh, I'll, I'll try to make Tom matter tomorrow, even though I've made him today. So uh, let me. Uh, thank you, David. Thanks, David. You know, when I uh, the first time I ever heard Henriksen speak. I was at a, uh, a meeting that was similar to this. It was up in the Rockies of Colorado. And he made a proclamation. He said, 90% of the problems in a marriage are the man's fault. Don't think it's good. And I just went nuts. I said, wait a second. Hold on a second. Just a second. What do you mean 90% of the problems in a marriage are the man's? The first time I ever heard Gail Jackson speak, he said, if you want to test your theology, whatever you believe your theology is, if you want to test it, he said, guys, I live in Atlanta. Take it to the ghettos of Atlanta to the 14-year-old child who's sitting out on the front stoop in a slum, whose sister's turning tricks on the corner, who does not know his father and whose mother's a crackhead and tell him how lucky he is that Jesus loves him. If you want to test your theology, it goes cross-cultural, cross-economic, cross-social lines. Have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. That's what he said. And I said to him, wait a minute. You can't leave me like this. See, I'm just, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I got my nice house. I got my kids. And... I think I'm pretty solid, but I don't think I can explain to that 14-year-old kid why he's so lucky Jesus loves me. You've got to give me the answer. He would not. He provoked my thinking. That's what we're doing. We're giving you something to chew on. And hopefully it'll last for a few months. And it'll force you to dig into the guys that brought you and dig into the reference document and look for the answers. We don't like it when somebody plays around with our paradigm. It's a good point, John. Enjoy the wine. The sommeliers on, on, on duty. And I will break out.